You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. So, we are here today in, um, on the Suffolk Essex borders on a beautiful um, Sunday morning in June. Thank you so much for accepting to come in um, and speak to me. We don't actually know each other very well, don't we? No. We've met once before, at least once properly, or maybe twice. But um, I also remember when I was a waitress in a restaurant, you used to come and have your business lunches there. And, uh, really? Yes. Which yeah. one? A oh. restaurant in, um, near Sudbury. And I remember waiting, you know, those tables and, and you used to come quite often there with different colleagues. And I would be behind the bar, busying myself, but just looking. And you always arrived really glamorous and wearing amazing clothes, yeah. And you looked like you were having a very important life and you were doing important things. And I really wanted to know what was being discussed, so... Interesting, very interesting. I think I remember you. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I would let you know because that's what I saw from the art side. So today you are, you are kindly agreeing to, to give us a story. So what's the story about and how, how did it sort of come in, graft well, itself in your life? I think the best way to describe this story uh, and why it's important to me and why I think it's one that's worth sharing is... It's very much a story about serendipity and circumstance. For me, it's a story of great hope. And it's also a story of affirmation and friendship and finding friendship in places you are least likely to expect to find it at a time when you really need it. It seems to me that stories like this occur in your life when something is changing and maybe you've got a real heightened sense of emotion in your life. And that these are times I've learned when you're seeking answers. You're looking for answers in your life. You're looking for some guidance in your life. You don't know where from. And so your mind is perhaps a little bit more open and willing to explore paths that you might not otherwise have done. You, you, you're, you, as you say in your, um, in your podcast, you're looking for something extraordinary in the ordinariness of your life. Um, and so I think, I think that's where this story came from. I think that's why this story happened. Um, and I think it's why it's important to me. Well, I can't wait to hear it. So, go. Cool. So, it was a time in my life when there was a lot of change. My, um, I'd been married for 20 years. I had uh, two daughters. They were teenage daughters. And... For many reasons, my husband and I had decided that it was time to separate. Um, we had a very respectful relationship and our separation was one that was something that we both agreed needed to happen and it wasn't something that came out of conflict or disagreement. So there was very much a, an acceptance and a respect but at the same time, it was incredibly sad. It was, um, it, it, it was, it was a difficult time. 
and we had agreed to separate but we were still living in the same house for a number of weeks wow. before we were able to you know find somewhere for, for him to live and my daughters were at school they were doing their, their A-level exams and um, so we were all still living in the same house together without conflict With but food. knowing there was going to be a very big change coming so the four of us, in our different ways of perhaps isolation, were dealing with the situation that we found ourselves in. So it was a Sunday. Now, a Sunday for us was always a family day. It was always a day when my husband would cook a roast meal and. Lucky girl. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had to consider that. <laughs> And we would get together as a family, we would sit around the dining table, the one that we're sitting at now, and we would have a meal together. And it was an important time for all of us. But Sundays had taken on a, a different meaning since we'd agreed that we were going to separate and probably maybe a little more poignancy and sadness. Mark and I both wanted to continue to create a family atmosphere for the girls and for ourselves, but there was an underlying tension and just sadness. We were feeling that in our own ways, but none of us communicating that to each other, um, just getting on with it and, and trying to make the best of it. And it was a very bright, sunny day. It was in the spring, so it wasn't warm. And I was staring out of my window in the dining room, having just laid the table ready for the lunch. Mark was in the kitchen and the girls were around the house. And I was looking out of the window Where, where did you live at the time? In town lived in, a, lived in a village, a very leafy village, a very pretty, um, classic Essex, North Essex village. And there's a main road that runs across the front of, of, of my house. I have a picket fence. And on the other side of the road, I just saw this man. And he looked incredible. He was very unusual. He was an old man. He had white hair, he had an enormous white beard, I mean, looked a little bit like Father Christmas, and he was sitting at the other side of the road with an easel facing the house. And I looked at it and I thought, that's, that's, that's unusual. Then I carried on doing what I was doing, and then 10 minutes later I went back to the window and he was still there, very intently, behind his easel. And I became incredibly... Um, inquisitive about this and I wanted to know what was he what, doing? What was he doing? Or what was he seeing? Exactly. And I also found him very compelling. There was something, the sun was shining on him so he was glowing. Mm. I felt very drawn to him. My daughter Lydia is um, studying art and she was doing her art A-level and uh, she's now uh, taking a degree in art and she's interested in painting and art. So I said to Lydia, go over and ask that man what he's doing. Cross the road, go over and ask him. And she was a teenager. She said, no, mum, I'm not going over there. And I said, well, I'll give you a pound if you go over. And she <laughs> asked ask him what he's doing. So, you could have gone yourself, really, couldn't you? Because you were the one interested. Exactly. But I felt, um, I don't know why I didn't. I felt probably a little nervous about going out there and asking It's him. all about coming out of our comfort zone, isn't yes, it? Yes, Exactly. And my daughter said, okay, I'll go. So she went over the road and she went over there. She was there for a little while having a conversation with him. And then she came back in through the front door, which faces him and faces the road. And she said, mum, he's, he's painting our house. And I said, goodness, 
He's painting our house, she said, yes. But he says that he's been here every day for the past three weeks. And I said, but I haven't seen him. She said, well, you haven't been here, you've been at work. She said, but I have seen him. Now that I see him, I have seen him sitting there. And I said, this is curious. This is, I have to go and have a conversation with this man. And this was all happening without my husband's knowledge or anybody else's, just me and Lydia. And so I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll make him a cup of coffee and I'll take it over the road and I'll go and see him. So I went over the road, took him the coffee and I said, hello, my name's um, Juliet. And he said, hello, my name's Charles. And I said, you're, you're painting my house. He said, yes, I've, I've been painting your house for days now. And I looked at the picture and it was the most interesting picture. It wasn't a chocolate box, flowery picture. It was quite an austere picture, but it had incredible atmosphere and it was very um, intuitive and it, it was just an unusual take on what somebody could paint this house and make it chocolate boxy, make it very pretty. But he saw it like that? He saw it in, 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 in a very different way, an unusual way. And I said, that's a really unusual picture. And he said, well, my dear, your house is quite extraordinary. And I said, well, it's quirky. It's a, it's a, it's a Victorian cottage. Um, you know, the railway work workers lived in it before it was, and it's also had many guises over the years. It, once, it was a garage, it's been a workshop, it's been many things, and now, it's, and now it's my house. And he said, well, my dear, I didn't choose this, it chose me. All of everything I paint, uh, chooses me. I thought, gosh, that's quite an interesting thing to say. I said, so what, why, why did it choose you? He said, well, because it is unusual and extraordinary. And he said, and it's really quite ugly and quirky, if you don't mind me saying, and those are the things that I am most interested in. He said, I like to find the extraordinary in the ordinary. He said, perhaps people might not notice this house as they walk past in the same way, but he said to me, it's a house that's worth painting because it's extraordinary. And I think maybe because of the state of mind I was in at the time, this really struck me. It really mm. struck a chord with me. And mm. it actually, I was felt very emotional at that moment, not that I shared that, but I thought, gosh, if you could imagine what's going on in that house at the moment. It was also because I think the house, when you're in a situation of separation, your home and your house have been the most important part of your life, the most important grounding part of your life. And in this period of separation and change, that's threatened. And you don't know what your home is anymore. And your home takes on a different meaning. And you're in a new world and you're exploring new feelings. And you don't have that affirmation of home. And you're questioning what is home. And for this man to have picked, or the house, to have picked this man, suddenly became incredibly affirming and important to me and gave me great joy. I had this enormous feeling of joy that I had not felt in many, many months. And so I said to him, so do you paint? What sort of things do you paint? And he said, well, my dear, I've been painting, I've been painting all my life. And he said, I, every single day of my life, I'm outside and I'm painting. I paint Colchester and Sudbury, buildings, people, the things that people might not notice. He said, I'm interested in, in wheelie bins. I'm interested in wheelie bins outside unremarkable buildings. I'm interested in, I suppose, the people and the places that 
operate and exist. They're always there, but we might not notice them. Mm. So this caught my attention and, and, and fascinated me. And he, uh, I said, well, when you've finished painting today, maybe you'd like to come into the house and just say hello, which is a very unusual thing for me to do, but I wanted this man to be yeah. part of my life. Mm. And, I mean, also to add, he was obviously a very old man. I mean, he was, he's an 83... I know now that he's an 83-year-old man, so he obviously had a life and a story to tell, and it was something that I felt I wanted to be involved in in some way. So I came back into the house and he sat outside and continued painting and we had our Sunday lunch and we sat around the table and I didn't really tell the story. I didn't share it particularly. It was something... Your family is something... It was something that was felt, suddenly felt personal, suddenly didn't feel like something that I wanted to share at that moment. But we had a very happy lunch and a very relaxed lunch we finished our lunch and tidying up and people were going and doing what they do and there was a little knock at the door and it was Charles with his uh, easel and he came into the house and he had in his hand a brochure and he showed me, he said, oh, this is one of my exhibitions and it just shows you the work that I've been doing. And I realised when I read it that this man was a very prolific and celebrated painter, that this man was somebody of note somebody who had created a great name for themselves as a painter and you know he went on to tell me that he exhibited at the Royal Academy and that uh you know told me the different people that had bought his paintings wow and I said to him can I buy that painting from you when when you finished it and he said no I, I can't let you buy the painting he said I don't do commissions I I, I don't paint to order and I said, oh, I really hope that I can persuade you one day. I said, because it's not that I'm painting for order, it's because of the circumstances in my life. Having a painting of my house on my wall would be incredibly significant to me. And he said... It captured the moment for you. Oh, it was... It, it was it's difficult to explain. Um, but it was something that was very important. Um, and significant and he said well my dear I shall think about it he said I'll give you my telephone number you give me your telephone number and he doesn't have a mobile phone he only communicates by by landline and he's never there because he's out painting every single day of his life and uh, we said goodbye and off he went and I thought about him after this a lot it was something that I had in my mind and I also found it very reassuring and, and helpful for many reasons. It was a little place you could go in yes. where you could re-experience that joy. Yes, absolutely. And then the phone rang, I think it was about two weeks later, and he said, my dear, this is Charles. He said, I have been thinking, I'm going to let you buy my painting. And he said, but I would like you to come to my studio and I would like you to bring your daughter because I told him that my daughter was a painter. So I said, oh, yes, any time when... He said, well, on Saturday, are you free on Saturday? He told me where he lived. And Lydia and I got in the car and we drove and we drove down these country lanes, places that I'd never been to before. And we came across his cottage, which was a beautiful cottage, quite tumbled down, but beautiful um, garden, wild garden, flowers everywhere. And knocked on the door 
And in we went. And inside his house, every inch of every wall was covered with paintings, beautiful paintings. And he led us through and he went into his studio. And his studio was a, um, an extension of glass at the back of the house. Not smart, not um, fashionably glass, but lovely big glass windows that opened out onto the garden so you could see the garden and the fields outside. And his studio was stuffed full of canvases. Some of them were propped up against the walls, some of them were on the walls, some of them were in piles on tables. And there on his easel, prepared, ready for Lydia and I, was the painting of my house, finished. And it was stunning. It was, I had tears rolling down my cheeks and I think he understood and didn't ask any questions at all. And Lydia was absolutely fascinated. He took her through all of his sketches, through all of the work that he'd been doing over the years, described how he had started to paint, how he'd learnt to paint. He's also a man with an incredibly cheeky sense of humour and also somebody who's not afraid to say what he thinks. So he had some quite harsh things to say about uh, different experiences he'd had at different art colleges, which I shan't mention the name of. Um, and... I realised that he had a really quite, quite a big personality and a big twinkle in his eye and a great sense of humour, a great passion for what he was doing and a great passion and interest for life. And as I was looking around the room, the only other thing other than art were pictures and CDs and clearly a great love of classical music. And in my mind I was thinking, how can I repay this man for his generosity? How can I return the favour? How can I create a special moment for him that replicates the one that he's created for me. And my job at the time was um, running a business, and the business was a music business. And we recorded tracks um, and orchestras at Abbey Road Studios, which is a very wonderful and unique experience to listen to a 75-piece orchestra recorded in Studio One at Abbey Road is, is something Amazing. that is a very, very unique experience. And I knew that we were going to be recording at Abbey Road in about two weeks' time. So I said to Charles, I said, Charles, would you be interested in coming to London and coming to Abbey Road Studios and listening to some classical music being recorded? And he looked at me and he, was, he looked nervous at first because he's an old man and he has a walking stick. Big and thing to come to London. Absolutely. And he said, I would love to. I said, OK. So in two weeks' time, I'm going to take you and we're going to go to Abbey Road Studios. I shall telephone you and we shall make the arrangements and we shall go. So I took my painting and I got home and I hung it on the wall and it made me feel as happy as I thought it would. And it still hangs in exactly the same position today. And I set about... I had a very, very busy working life. It was intense and full-on. But this whole experience had forced me to pause. It had forced me to stop. It had forced me to do that. This became more important than anything else that I was doing. This became something of a journey that I felt I was on. And I wanted to savour the moment. I wanted to feel the emotions. So I put 
plenty of time into planning the trip and into ensuring that he would be safe and comfortable and that the musicians, the timing of the, the recordings were going to be the time that he was there. So I telephoned him and I said, I'll meet you at Liverpool Street Station at McDonald's, because it's an obvious place, which is why he chose to meet there, on this day, and I'll see you there. So the day came and it was pouring with rain, really, really heavy rain in London. And I arrived at Liverpool Street Station. I was quite concerned, I was a little nervous. I was quite worried about him because I knew that he'd have traveled in this rain and that, you know. And went into McDonald's and sitting there and I was 20 minutes early. So I expect that he was possibly maybe an hour early. He was sitting there and he was dressed terribly smartly, had a red velvet jacket on and a cravat. His beard was combed and smooth (laughs) and he had his stick and he was sitting there waiting. And he looked quite vulnerable. Yes, in McDonald's as well, out of place almost. Although I think he would have been quite happy there because Charles likes the ordinary and finds it fascinating. So I think he probably would have been quite enjoying sitting in McDonald's and observing the toings and froings of McDonald's in Liverpool Street. So we, I, I said hello and I said, OK, let's, let's go. So we got in a black cab and it was pouring with rain, so it was a very slow journey. And I could see that Charles was struggling with, the, with the, being in the cab and just the energy of having already got the train and the excitement mm. of being in London and... We had to stop the cab for five minutes because he was feeling a little weak. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh, gosh, I'm a little bit worried about this. But I think we were both so utterly determined to do this. We knew it was going to be all right. And I just really looked after him. I kept hold of him, held onto his arm and gave him the time he needed. And we got back in the cab and we eventually arrived at the studios. And I took him up the steps and we went in. And we went into the control room, which is where um, the producers and the sound engineers sit whilst you're making the recording. Behind a big glass. Exactly. And I sat him down and he sat there with his hand on his stick. And there in Studio One, you have the whole Royal Philharmonic Orchestra ready to record an original track. And they picked up their instruments and they started to play. face was incredible. It was just pure joy. And I can't describe how it feels, the hairs stand up on the back of your neck because of the sound. The sound is pure. It's like nothing else. And the ambience and atmosphere in in the studio is, is electric. and then took him into the studio and found him a little seat so he could sit next to the orchestra and he could actually listen to it live. And I think it was a very, very important moment for both of us and one that made me have even more affirmation if that were possible. And the orchestra finished their recording and I took him into Studio Two and he saw the piano where the Beatles had recorded their Lady Madonna song where Paul McCartney had played that piano and into the little room where Ringo Starr used to play his drums. And we had some lunch in the canteen with the orchestra. And then I knew, you know, it was two o'clock, but it was time to go. And we got the taxi back 
and we sat on the train home and he said to me that was one of the most wonderful experiences of my life and thank you. He was exhausted but I knew that he was okay. I knew he was happy and I knew that it would probably take me a couple of days to recover but I knew that it had been the right thing to do and that both of us had had our happy moment and both of us now had actually a really rather special relationship really? and you've connected in a, in a really incredible way and two weeks later there was a knock at my door because he doesn't phone mm. and there was Charles and he said I wanted to thank you for taking me to Abbey Road he said so I've brought you two paintings which I painted when I was younger that I really 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 treasure but I would really like you to have them And he gave them to me and it was really strange because they were beautiful landscapes, more naive than the art that he does mm. now because he was obviously a younger artist. And they were of Swaledale in North Yorkshire, which is exactly where I was brought up. He didn't know this. <laughs> so he had spent many years painting there and he bought me these two paintings and they were my childhood landscapes which was incredible coincidence and again the i don't know kind of meant to be-ness of 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 our, of our friendship which it's now become um was sealed so i took these paintings to be framed with a local framer and he said how have you got these charles debenham original paintings how have you come by them so he gave them to me he said Charles Debenham gave you some paintings and I said yes and he said well that's incredible I've never known him to do that <laughs> and so uh, I've hung those on my wall now and um, Charles and I have remained friends and we go for lunch together and I go to his exhibitions and I've recently bought another one of his paintings um, and he's part of my life and I can only thank him, really thank him, for bringing me that incredible moment of, of happiness when I desperately needed it the most. And I'm just great, grateful and thankful, and for him, in a way, opening my eyes at a time in my life when I could have got very lost, lost in my inner thoughts. But you were ready. Yeah. It came just at the right moment. Thank you so much for this story. It's extraordinary. You know what we need to do now? I need to go and have a look at that painting. Exactly. Let me show you. Thank you.